Hey guys, Kane and Mark here, and we're back. We're going to talk about yoga asana myths today. And this is an intro talk, part of a, a series of talks that we're going to talk about different yoga asana myths related to the physical practice of yoga, whether that's asana or breathing techniques, um, and how they affect the body and physical health in particular. So today we're just going to touch on some of the general um, applications of yogic techniques, physical techniques, and what they do, um, what they do in terms of what their effect is versus what um, we assume they're supposed to do. So we're going to be very critical today. We're going to look at a lot of the, um, a lot of common alignments and common poses and common applications of physical practices of yoga um, in terms of what they're rumored to do versus what actually happens when you do them over a period of time uh, to the physical body. So um, one of the big things that comes up when we talk about uh, the effect of practicing physical yoga is the idea of creating flexibility. How often do yoga teachers hear the idea from somebody who's interested in taking a yoga class, oh, I could never do yoga, I'm not flexible enough. There's obviously a large cultural assumption that doing yoga is about being exceptionally flexible and that doing yoga makes you flexible. So I want to look at that right off the bat um, and ask ourselves, one, is that true? And if it's true, is that actually beneficial? Do we want to, do we want to pursue that? So flexibility and mobility. What are your thoughts on, on that, Mark? Yeah, I think you're right. It's the most commonly sort of addressed or, or uh, stated thing by, by students. Is when you walk into a class and I meet a new student, they're like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Oh, I'm just a little scared. I'm not flexible, right? How have how often have we heard that? So, you can see off the bat, just from from a yoga teacher perspective, that a lot of people come into yoga class with the assumption that the physicality of the class, of the practice, has everything to do with flexibility. And so, if we're not very well educated, it's really easy to assume that yoga asana is all about creating flexibility. Right? And when I think about that, and I look back. I had the same assumption originally when I did yoga. I was obsessed with becoming more flexible. I wanted to put my foot behind my back on it. I wanted to touch my nose to my knees. You know, I wanted to be able to you know, do all these really elaborate postures that required a lot of mobility in all of my joints and my spine. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I started to notice that I was getting really flexible, but certain things were hurting. Like my back, my lower back was getting more painful. Mm. Um, I noticed some achiness in my, my shoulders. And then I started talking to really seasoned yoga teachers and they were revealing to me that they had some serious issues and pain in their knees and their lower back as a really common symptom. And eventually, and I think I had mentioned this in a previous talk, but I went to a yoga therapy conference and I heard a bunch of these really seasoned yoga therapy instructors talk about how a lot of practitioners were getting injured. Mm -hmm. And how a lot of it was being induced by forceful adjustment, mm -hmm. but also a pursuit of hypermobility. Right. Right. So when so the body itself has this sort of its own healthy structure, right? Its healthy range of motion. And once you begin to take the body out of that range of motion, you risk the vulnerability of certain tissues or joints. Mm. In a sense that certain joints, for example, the shoulder or the hip, is meant to generally function in a certain range of motion. And once you begin to hyperextend it out of that range of motion, the structure of the body is not meant to hold a lot of pressure or weight in those positions. So when you load up those joints uh, with a lot of pressure out of that range of motion, you create the likeliness of creating injury mm -hmm. in those joints because you start to load these smaller muscle groups that are there to sort of mostly stabilize the joint. And you put all the work into those muscle groups, as far as I understand. Mm -hmm. And then it creates micro tears and over time it can create an injury. Right. Or, or if you're, yeah, I mean, if you're starting to get so deep into in increasing range of motion that you 
create lots of flexibility in the smaller muscles that are meant to stabilize the joint. The joint becomes less stable. And right. this is something that we often see with, with yoga teachers and, and especially people who come to yoga already relatively flexible. In a sense, it's sort of like the person who could do a ton of yoga asana in terms of its large range of motion, flexibility postures mm -hmm. and get away with it is like a weightlifter or athletes. Then we, and we start to see, oh, there's a lot of benefit. If you take a football team or a basketball team and you have them do yoga asana an hour and a half, three or four days a week, you see that increases their performance because it, it, it counteracts the tendency to be too stable and less mobile. So now that they're more mobile, they can move through the ranges of motion they need to move through in their athletic endeavor without having injury. But the, for the average person that's not doing something that significantly creates stability and they only do yoga what both of us have seen with a lot of our students and both of us found it to be in our own body that the body's main joints start to become actually less stable the lumbar spine the shoulders and the hips are like the three areas that are most at risk and a lot of that is from doing you know intense back bending intense hip openers and trying to push really deep into downward facing dog trying to do things that open the shoulder girdle sort of beyond its its natural range mm -hmm. where it can hold its own stability Right. And so, so we have to ask the hard question, right? It's, there's nothing wrong with pursuing flexibility. Flexibility is, is important, but for whom and for what function? Right. Why do we need to develop extra range of motion or, or do we? Mm -hmm. And I don't hear yoga teachers asking those questions of their students in class. I see that the general assumption around yoga is more flexible is better. And what I've seen the result of that assumption be is that there are unnecessary injuries. Some of them acute happen in the moment. Some of them are chronic and happen over time as a student destabilizes their joints mm -hmm. by pursuing the more flexible is more better, mm -hmm. you know, uh, fallacy. Right. So I think we, we really, as yoga teachers and yoga students, we have to ask ourselves the question, how much flexibility... Right is healthy mm -hmm. right how do we how, how how can we assess that right yeah well i mean let, let's face it you know as much as we like to think yoga is a spiritual practice and it is most of us practice it for physical reasons right we come into the yoga class because we want to improve our physical conditioning or uh, relieve stress physically or become more flexible all these things we had talking about earlier so i think it's to accomplish what we're talking about, we also need to backtrack a little bit and just critically think about why are we in that class? What are we actually trying to accomplish? And build a little bit more understanding for both teachers and students about what we're actually up to here. And what could this practice do for us? How could it serve us? Right? So it's like, if, if our perspective on yoga is just about flexibility, then it's a very limited view, even on a physical level of what we can and what we are trying to accomplish in the practice. And when we get more practical about what we're trying to accomplish in the physical practice, and then we look at the full scope of what's possible, okay, we can get flexible through doing practices, we can build strength or stability, we can build more structural integration, meaning different parts of the body learning how to work together, we can build functional anatomical, functional movement-based awareness, meaning looking at the body structure learning how to use the body for functional movement, for functional things like we would, things we'd actually do in regular life, right? Right. And so once we analyze yoga from those vantage points critically, and then we look at what we're actually practicing and the efficacy of those things for those purposes, then we can start to have a dialogue, I think. We can really start to talk about, okay, is this actually useful? The is right this actually fit yeah, effective and i think that's what you were kind of talking about a moment ago mm. if someone it's like a football player comes in they have mobility issues right they can't move enough so for them yeah mobility practices are great i've had many dancers come to my classes over the years mm. and a lot of the dancers that i saw were hyper were hypermobile they're so flexible right they don't have any problem going into yoga poses that's really easy for them mm -hmm. so whenever i find them and i see that i could see they lack stability in certain areas. So then I'm giving them more strengthening practices, doing a lot of plank mm -hmm. or, you know, 
sort of side plank stuff, strengthening the obliques, having them hold very stable positions and turn on certain muscle groups that are a little bit underactive depending on what kind of movement they were doing. Right. Right. Yeah. So it, it really needs to be based on what that person is dealing with. And unfortunately in group classes, that's really difficult to do. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is one of the other challenges we have. One of the other yoga myths is that is that yoga, first of all, the, the big myth is yoga is good for everybody. Mm-hmm. So the yoga that pursues flexibility is not good for everybody. Right. The yoga that may address each individual and correct where that imbalance might be in that particular body, that yoga starts to, to become intelligent and quite possibly, you know, good for everybody. If we were, if we allow yoga to be so diverse that it could, it could intend to decrease the flexibility of one person while increasing the flexibility of another person. So we take the hypermobile dancer Mm -hmm. who comes to class, they actually need to decrease range of motion that they can go into without stability. So once they actually sort of tighten up the joint capsules by creating more strength, they might find that there's actually a little bit less range of motion, which means the muscles are now holding the joint only in the range of motion that it can handle a load within. And therefore, it's, it's self-regulating. The body's now keeping itself safe. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but in a group class, how do you do that? As a yoga teacher, how do you do that? It's really difficult, and I'm not putting that pressure on yoga teachers to, to think that we all can do that. I think what we need to do is inform students to make decisions. So as we're teaching a yoga class, as a teacher, we give different cues, right? You're mm-hmm. going into this pose. If you have a lot of range of motion, then maybe back off and fire your muscular stability a little bit more. And if you're having a lot of resistance, then figure out a way to find space inside the joint and soften into the to mm-hmm. the to the asana or to the exercise. Mm-hmm. So that yoga teachers understand that it's really easy to mislead numerous people in a class by giving blanket instructions and it's really easy for yoga to mislead people by giving the blanket assumption that that flexibility or range of motion is is you know is better right but that that requires that we sort of we change a lot of the way we go about one marketing yoga talking about yoga um, and of course teaching yoga and so if we can inform students that it's almost like I think of sort of like eating for your blood type or like looking at a dosha model. Mm -hmm. Some of these systems that look at people and sort of give at least a few classifications of people to say that, hey, not everyone thrives on the same diet. Hey, not everyone thrives on the same things. Mm -hmm. This is built into yoga's sister science, into Ayurveda. Right. But that's often not, that thinking isn't applied. Mm -hmm. Right. So we had talked a little bit about flexibility can you, can you share a little bit about your understanding around stability and the importance of that, how you approach that? Yeah, so I mean, just kind of going on that idea of, of like elements and fluid and stuff, we can look at it from many different lenses. So if we think of like stability as more quality of earth, it's cohesion, mm-hmm. right? And flexibility is more like fluid, water. So someone who has a lot of range of motion and might not have as much stability, we need to give them more sense of solidity right? Mm -hmm. So in a posture, we might engage the muscles, like you gave the example of plank. Mm -hmm. Let's say we have the dancer who has a really flexible lumbar spine, Mm -hmm. and they can really easily go into full wheel and and pigeon and these really deep hip openers and back bends. But when they're doing that, there's compression and the joints are sort of getting destabilized at the actual joint site. Mm -hmm. If we take that person and we have them fire their musculature, which gives them the feeling of being heavier and more solid, then all of a sudden that aspect of stabilization wakes up. Because when you're really firing your muscles in a plank, Mm -hmm. you can't go into a range of motion that's very far because the muscles are holding the joints in place. So by doing that, we learn how much or little we need to turn on the muscular engagement to inhibit Mm-hmm. the free movement of joints, nice. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in terms of the elements, it's like adding more, you know, more earth. Another way of thinking about that is holding the posture longer, mm-hmm. right? So if the person, if the one person's very 
immobile and inflexible, it might be helpful for them to move through a sun salutation kind of continuously just to get things to break up and create some kind of patterning of, of movement, of fluid movement, right. and trying to link the movements together in a smooth, conscious, consistent way. Mm -hmm. The person who's very fluid and, and open might need to stop at every pose and hold it for five or ten breaths without moving right. and really wrapping the muscles around the bones and really firing and feeling that yeah. kind of cohesion right in the right alignment quote unquote right, right. yeah without force for that individual yeah nice um another thing that i've been playing with is also understanding the relationship of different muscle groups and mm. in, in the west we have um a tendency towards isolating body parts right like when we train the biceps, we train the biceps. We don't think about how it's chaining into the anterior deltoids and even into the back muscles if we're doing a curl. Mm -hmm. Like every time you curl, you can't curl something without turning on the, the back muscles, for example, right? The right. chain, the, the lower traps and the lumbar and the maybe sometimes if you're doing it standing up, the glutes, right? So I like to look at the body from that sort of integrated perspective of different groups of muscles and joints yeah. and body parts actually working together. And when you come from that perspective, stability takes on another life, you know, mm -hmm. in the practice. For example, I've been having hypermobility issues in my sacrum in my lower back for a really long time. And it's been sort of a, a mystery I've been working with and cracking for a really long time. And for me, um, I found out turning on my glutes is really important. And learning how to work my back and my glutes together is really important. Mm. And so, for example, we sit a lot. So the lower lumbar tends to go into lordosis or a slight, you know, us uh, and lordosis kyphosis. It mm. kind of rounds backward a lot, right? We right. slouch into the chairs a lot. We lose our natural lumbar mm -hmm. curve because yeah. we're, we're jamming our tailbone into our chair and right. slumping. Right. Okay. So the lower back basically gets tight but also weak. Mm -hmm. And the glutes become weak and underdeveloped. Because we're sitting on our ass all day mm -hmm. long. <laughs> right. And then you go to yoga class and you do all these forward bends over and over and over and over and over. Um, then you can create more problems in your lower back, right? right? So, but then you want to gain some mobility. So I think do mo doing mobility exercises could be good for people who have a lot of, you know, tightness in their body. But once you get mobility, then you have to stabilize the body in the ideal alignment mm. for that body. So for me, it's a little bit of a, a curve in my lower back moving forward and then squatting and turning on my glutes. And I noticed that when I'm using my legs and my glutes more, my back can actually release more mm -hmm. and it can focus more on stabilization versus taking load on, if that makes sense. Right. So I find that learning how to make different muscle groups work together. You know, for example, my shoulders, if I just work my deltoids to lift something, it's a lot less stable than if I connect my shoulder into my torso and engage my pecs and my lats and my serratus and all these larger muscle groups. And then the deltoids kind of stabilize the shoulder and I lift something, but what's lifting is more like the traps or the pecs are being utilized or these other larger muscle groups are taking on the load. Mm -hmm. And that creates stability. So within the context of a yoga practice too, learning and, and also teaching people how to connect different muscle groups into each other mm -hmm. and learning the relationship of diff how different muscle groups work together functionally, I think is really important. Mm. And sometimes it gets missed when we're just doing asana and we're not doing applied functional movements like lifting things or pushing against things. Nice, because yeah. in that context, I think it's easier to learn the relationship between different body parts and how they get used. Right. And then integrating that understanding into asana, if we're practicing asana for daily use, right? For creating a body, that can be utilized in daily living, then I think that's really important. If we're just cultivating a body from seated meditation, that's a different goal. Right. right? Yeah, I think that's a huge uh, misnomer in the yoga world is that, mm -hmm. is that w what you're trying to do is to create a functional body for daily living right. versus what you're trying to do is to create an idealized, flexible yoga body. Without, without asking the hard questions, why would I do that? I mean, I think, you know, w w if yoga students could just ask themselves one question, when you come to a yoga class or you do a yoga practice, with every technique that you do, ask yourself, why would I do that? What's mm -hmm. the purpose of doing that? What does that do? And if you don't know, if you can't answer very clearly a few of the effects that doing that particular pose or particular exercise does, you want to research and find out because it may or may not be congruent with your objective, mm -hmm. right? And so most of us 
who practice yoga, 99% of people who practice yoga today are, are everyday people, right? There are very few of us are living in caves, sitting in meditation for 12, 15 hours a day. We, maybe we go on a Vipassana retreat or something and we sit that much for, you know, 10 days or something, but we're not living that lifestyle where you need super flexible hips and ramrod straight right. spine and all of that. We <laughs> need to be able to, we need to be able to lift the, the groceries and pick up our dog and pick up our kids and flow through life, ideally with less pain and more fluidity mm -hmm. and, and better functionality. Mm -hmm. So the question you asked about, about like, is this functional and how can we, how can we train yoga from the perspective of it being functional to me that's that's golden mm. i mean and and it might be difficult to train somebody to to not overuse individuated muscles but it's not that difficult if we use feeling we talked about it in in a couple other episodes right mm -hmm. i mean not everybody is going to know what their serratus is or what their trap trapezius is or what their rhomboids are but it might not even matter when we're giving yoga cues, what I see often is yoga teachers give very detailed alignment cues about where you should put your body, but they don't talk about how it might feel mm. to be integrated mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm, to put mm -hmm. it to the test, right? Like uh, what I mean is that a, a yoga student could be in a posture and visually look like they hold the shape, right? but maybe are not recruiting muscles in relationship right. such that it's actually a functional shape. Yeah. Right? And so I think more awareness about how it feels mm -hmm. and how the body becomes one, one unit, right. in a sense, working together. Right. So I mean, from what I understand from what you were just saying is it's all about the relationships. Who cares about your deltoid? Because your deltoid never functions separate from the rest of the shoulder girdle. Mm -hmm. If you try to make it do that, it either becomes too tight or becomes too mobile or too pressurized and you start right. getting some kind of flare up some kind of injury or some yeah. kind of the body starts creaking and aching oh god so this is very <laughs> spiritual actually though right like because that when you say all that it makes me think about you know the, the let me go on a tangent for a second but like <laughs> go for it. the social implication of disconnection right i mean when the individual is disconnected from its natural environment from its community what happens right. usually some sort of disintegration leads to disease of some That's form awesome. and it, it's and it's just no different in the body right totally. when one body part can't communicate with the rest of the body effectively and work together in cohesion as a community you develop disease it's it's sort of the, you know the truth is true on every realm isn't it yeah yeah, that's awesome. No, I mean, I, that's such an important point what you what you just said. So when individual muscle groups or body parts work out of conjunction with the whole, they suffer. When individual people live or work out of cooperation with the whole of other people, the community, the natural living system, mm -hmm. then they suffer unnecessarily. So, I mean, Geez, that's yoga is supposed to mean unity, right? Or the yoking, yug is supposed to mean the yoking up, the bringing together. Mm -hmm. But the physical practice can can one can be isolating because people become narcissistically obsessed with perfecting the yoga alignment, the yoga dogmatic alignment, mm -hmm. and not paying attention to the inner feeling of the body working as one unit. Right. So in that way, it can be separating. Mm -hmm. And and two to create a body that doesn't that doesn't work within the context of the life that the person actually lives. Like let's face it, you mm -hmm. do ninety minutes of yoga asana. If you were to do that seven days a week, that would be a lot of yoga for the average householder person. Mm -hmm. But that much yoga could inform you in how to move that is either in conjunction with the way you really live your life or not. Right. And if it isn't in a sense, your practice is like taking you away mm -hmm. from engagement right. with your life, right. right? By creating a kind of forceful system of, of being in yeah. your physical body or yeah. even breathing. I mean, maybe we should touch on how this affects breathing, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. rigid alignment rules or rules about breathing. How can that affect, right. um, you know, your ability to breathe naturally? Right. So <coughs> there, over the years, there's been a lot of, um, teaching about alignment, right? It's a big thing in yoga. And I've tried a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. And I've also been with students or seen students who've done some of those things. And I've seen some students that seem pretty successful. They look pretty healthy or strong or integrated in their structure. And But there's also a equal to or, or larger amount of people who've developed really poor physical habits. 
as a result of trying to forcefully implement alignment cues that aren't really in harmony with what's going on in their unique body, um, or it's just not creating integration. Um, a little while ago, I was in a class in San Francisco with this uh, yoga teacher who's a little bit more um, creative and unique in his approach because he's obviously studied a lot of different movement platforms. And he actually singled out one of the, the students in class who was very flexible and very like beautiful, you know, physically. And then he went up to her and he, he asked her to do these more sort of circular wave-like motions in the spine, the kind of stuff you would do in Qigong or mm -hmm. in certain dances and whatnot mm -hmm. and martial arts. And she couldn't do any of them because her body was so locked in this very vertical, horizontal alignment of the spine really straight and the shoulder locked back. Uh -huh. And these muscles were basically in hypertonic state, right? I'm just in a spasm. They just were constantly locked right. from overtraining. And so she had no adaptability in her structure. She couldn't do any other sort of natural motions and movements that you would do in a natural environment. For example, if you were climbing something or right. swimming or, you know, just interacting or dancing. Walking on all fours yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, it, it, it could limit the mobility of your body. That's the funny thing. You're physically flexible in certain regards within the context of those specific yoga poses you practice. But out of that, when you start to move in a fluid or more adaptable way, you can't do it. Right. So I think what you're talking about is the difference between static flexibility and dynamic mobility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. So static flexibility is imagine the yoga student on the floor with their feet all the way out to the sides in a full split, leaning forward flat on the floor. Mm -hmm. Can the person get into that position muscularly while jumping? Right? Can the person get into that position using their muscular strength and stability? Probably not. A ballet dancer can mm -hmm. because they have a whole lot more strength. So, mm -hmm. if, so, or a martial artist could, you know, who could kick up to a full split. But you have mm -hmm. to have a lot of strength and the mobility to, to get your body into a dynamic right. range of motion. Right. And so I think this is a really big and very important uh, differentiation to make that if you only do, let's say you only do like primary series, you know, vinyasa practice and your body goes into only those shapes and that's your only physical training method, mm -hmm. then you're going to start patterning your body to hold certain shapes and any shapes that are outside of those shapes, you won't have dynamic mobility. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's not functional movement. Right, because if you can't round your back and put a wave motion through your spine, then somewhere in your spine, there's some kind of locking, some kind of inhibiting. Because the average right. person on the street can do some some realm of wave motion through their spine, and if a trained mm -hmm. yoga practitioner has a hard time spontaneously responding to any kind of movement cue, mm -hmm. as long as it's you know within the healthy range of what's possible for the human body, right, right. to me that tells me that there's there's pattern in a new kind of tension. Yeah. A new kind of, you know, chronic tension right. where the body is holding itself unnecessarily mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in a specific shape. Yeah. And, and that's not that's not natural. Well, as animals as, don't do that. Right. Well, as, Tribal people don't do that, right? <laughs> totally. And as well as there's a concern for me about like the long-term effect of that. You know, could that inhibition could lead to injuries and or weakness in certain areas, other mm. areas. Mm. And, you know, a certain kinds of inhibition, natural like holding in the body is natural too, depending on what the function is. Right? Mm -hmm. Like for example, if you're a construction worker and you tend to pick up a lot of heavy stuff, your body's connective tissue forms in a certain way to allow that function to be repeated more easily. Mm -hmm. Right? The body builds the kind of rigidity necessary to do that. Right. Right. So it's actually functional in that sense. Yeah. And though it might over time, because of the over inhibition or overdevelopment of certain connective tissue, it can create back pain or shoulder pain or nerve pinching, things like that, which mm. is not as pleasant or beneficial. Well the difference between the construction worker and the yogi is the construction workers function whatever aspect of their functional bodily conditioning that happens on the job happens because it's necessary right for the yogi who goes to the studio and does an hour and a half of asana what are they training for right right so like what 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 they get out <laughs> of that right what, for what right i mean so you can look cute at the at the raw food raw vegan you know cafe <laughs> 
I mean, no, seriously, like I see, we were joking before we started recording, but it's like, when you see sometimes, especially see it with newer yoga teachers that just learned alignment, and they jam their shoulder blades onto the back of their rib cage and hold them there by constantly engaging their rhomboids and their traps, as if proper human alignment is to hold your chest in an exaggeratedly open position Mm -hmm. and hold your shoulder blades completely flat on your back muscularly. Right as if that's actually natural human alignment. And the right. only thing you get from that is restricted breathing and tight tightness in your upper back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it doesn't have any, it doesn't have any function, right? Well, well, I mean, yes. And I can also see that if someone has say, like there's a tendency towards over rounding anterior rotation of the shoulders. Sure. Right? Hunching over. Forward. Yeah. From sitting and stuff like that. So for those people starting to condition the shoulders to roll back, I'll be, I wouldn't probably focus on, Overactivation of rhomboids and things like that, but exactly. I would focus more on mobility of the spine and allow it to come from the core and from the from the spine versus the shoulders. Personally, right? right. Well, that's but, functional mm-hmm. because right. what you're you, what you're doing, and maybe it's like we don't even know that we're doing this. It's just what you're doing is you're ushering the student back toward natural. Mm-hmm. Whereas the cue at the yoga studio that the yoga teacher gives of roll the shoulder blades back and engage the rhomboids and keep your shoulder blades pegged to your back. That's not actually ushering the person toward natural. Mm. They're going to create a new pattern right. of chronic engagement of muscles right. that in any tribal person aren't constantly engaged because the structure needs to take time to open and then resettle back to where uh-huh. you know natural is. Animals right. don't think about engaging their rhomboids. Right. So... Right. What you talk about is a more intelligent way of ushering that person back toward their natural or intrinsic alignment that's most healthy. Mm-hmm. But if on the way to doing that, we create a new pattern. It can inhibit that process. It's a new holding pattern. Yeah. yeah. yeah and then exactly. now you have like a pathology on top of a pathology. Right, right, right. Let's just pause there because I think that's really important what you just said there. How, and I'd love you to elaborate even further if you want to, which is, that if we take someone who has a lot of poor conditioning in the body, and if we just blindly implement another structural holding pattern onto it, it can create more restrictions and or confusion in the structure. That's right. Versus allowing the body to find its natural, healthy place, alignment, through exploration and trying different things type of thing. Yeah, yeah, to- yeah totally. Yeah. I mean, you use the word mobilize the ribcage and mobilize the spine instead mm-hmm. of pegging the shoulders back. And I think mm-hmm. that's like, that's, that's just a difference in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Like you're, what you're going to do is have the person explore their upper body structure to figure out where holding patterns already exist. Right. And then using mindfulness, using felt awareness to slowly start to unwind those and to mm-hmm. allow the shoulders to return back Right. to where they probably were when that person was a baby. Right, That's right. so different than the yoga teacher. And how many times I've seen this happen in a yoga class where a yoga teacher imposes an alignment cue on a student. They come up to the student who has rounded shoulders and a little bit caved in chest, mm-hmm. and they pull their shoulders back and they put them into the quote, correct position. Mm-hmm. But that student isn't ready in their structure to be in that position without an right. excessive amount of tension. Yeah. And so that cue was actually not in alignment with the idea of functional movement right. or the right. therapeutic right. application right. of yoga. Yeah. So we have to be really careful about that. Mm-hmm. If you're a yoga student mm-hmm. and you're in a class and a teacher gives you an adjustment like that, you yeah. should thank them and then sort of bow out of that adjustment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. it's, it's only going to, it's like overlaying armor on top of your poor structure. Right, right, right. right? It's true. It, and I do agree. Like I'm <clears throat> continuously, it, I think it's just the responsibility of a modern yogi because we're kind of making it up, all of us, as we go. A lot of our teachers, I think, made stuff up too. And yeah. to the best of their <laughs> abilities with the best of intentions. Right. And I just think it's just an evolving art. And as we study the body more and discover more, I think this adaptation of using yoga asana primarily for body restructuring is something that's more of a modern adaptation of yogic practices. Totally. So it's, but it's important because it's what we're doing and we want to address it because we're going to continue doing it most likely. Especially so in the West. Wanna, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, we talked about mm-hmm. it in the, what the fuck is yoga episode. It's like we took yoga out of the context and even the culture. So if mm-hmm. we just, if we just take the body practices of yoga yeah. at the times when yoga was developing, you know, a lot of its physical 
uh, technology, which has been relatively recent. You know, even if we just go back to Hatha Yoga Pratipika or any of those texts, they're way more recent compared to the, you know, long-standing spiritual traditions of the Vedas. And mm -hmm. so we have a culture that was way more mobile than us. Mm -hmm. the, people didn't sit as much. They were an agricultural civilization. A, a lot of people walking barefoot. Mm -hmm. A lot of people carrying things on their heads. And still in the right. villages in yoga, that's how people live their lives. Everyone used the primal squat position to go to the bathroom, yes. to thresh the rice grain. So many times throughout their day, they were in all of the primal body positions that maintain healthy range of motion mm -hmm. and stability. Mm -hmm. And if they did sit, they sat on the ground in a hip open position. Right. Then we fast forward to, to right. modern Euro Amero you know, a culture where we all grew up sitting on a toilet, sitting on our butt, not in a squat position, sitting mm -hmm. all day in school. And so our bodies are, are used mm -hmm. very differently. Right. So we need to have a yoga that's used differently to open, a, open us up and stuff. Totally. But it doesn't follow the same rules as the Hatha yoga that might have been applied 200 years ago or right. even 100 years ago. Great point. So, I mean, it's good that we innovate. We need to innovate. But a lot of the old posture sequences and even some of the alignment cues... I think they, they they need to be reworked. They need to be updated. Right. You know. Right. 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 So even when I the first time I traveled to to Thailand, I couldn't believe how much more supple and mobile people were in Thailand. Mm -hmm. The average grandmother could sit in a deep primal squat for 20, 30 minutes and have a conversation. And mm -hmm. most 20 year olds in America can't do that. Right. 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 You know, right, or right. sit cross legged or just mm -hmm. do all of it. There's body because from birth. They've been utilizing those ranges of motion right. and the muscles it takes to get up from a full deep squat, you know, yeah. 20, 30, 50 times a day. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wow, I, if I want to be as supple as that, I have to start re, retraining my body on a daily basis to utilize right. those ranges of motion. And if I push it through doing yoga too vigorously, mm -hmm. then I'll actually like create tears and I'll create inhibitions in the body through micro injury. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you know, yeah. the other thing I think of if it's, we're trying to create stability or flexibility, mm -hmm. we have to be patient mm -hmm. pushing the shoulders back or pushing into a back bend or pushing deeper. Like you were saying, trying to get your nose on your knee. Mm -hmm. I was guilty of that too. In the early years of yoga, I wanted to open up my forward bend. Mm -hmm. It's the body's not going to open like that. It's not going to open that fast. Yeah. If we're going to re, reshape our connective tissue it needs to happen slowly over months probably right. years right and then the others exactly so a lot of the functional use of yoga asana in the modern day has to do with um, structural reintegration mm -hmm. and also with creating um, soft tissue or connective tissue mobility mm -hmm. in places where they've we've developed unhealthy fixations or holding patterns like you said Right. We're can working can you describe mm -hmm. um, the structural integration? Like, mm -hmm. Oh, so for me, what that means is actually studying the body and learning how to feel the structure of the body. For me, that's how I found it. And then learning how to align the body structure in such a way in different functional um, situations. Like, and to me, the postures would be sort of a tool maybe to do that, mm -hmm. where you learn the mechanics of the body from the inside out and learn how to place the body in more harmonious relationship to one another mm. that you can utilize effectively in um, everyday situations. Like if you're picking up something or if you're, even if you're trying to stretch and lean to the side in a side angle pose, there's a functional integrated way of holding that posture that doesn't create injury in the body, that actually uses the natural ranges of motion available in the body to align the structure in such a way that creates stability, uh, strength, and a capacity to hold some load without injuring the system, mm -hmm. which requires the body aligned properly and the connective tissue being strong enough and also mobile enough to allow for that body position and sort of the capacity for communication and intelligence within the body for the different parts to communicate with itself okay. to be able to hold a position, that sounds confusing, but to hold a position that's actually functional, which okay. means it's stable, it's mobile, and it can take on load effectively. That's okay. necessary for that particular position so without injuring itself. Structural integration. You're talking about the global intelligence of the whole body as a whole, from head to toe, all working together to to perform whatever physical action it is. If it's a posture, yeah. a stretch, yeah. picking up something, a movement. So the whole body is functioning as one. That's kind of how I see. It. I'm not sure if that's a traditional definition of that word, but I mean, that's how I, I think of it. But yeah. I think that that 
that's a concept that mm-hmm. deserves being flushed out. Cause, right. Because right. usually we learn postures like piecemeal, you know, draw right. your shoulders back, internally spiral your, your thighs, exactly. drop your tailbone. But what to get to the place you're talking about is an overall feeling of the cohesive right. sense of the body as one thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In relationship to external pressures and gravity. Right. Right. So, for example, in a martial situation, right, a martial art situation, I'm most likely going to be taking some sort of horizontal force from an opponent. They're going to push me. They're going to kick me. They're going to try to pick me up and grab my legs and pull me back or up. Right. So then I'm learning how to align my body to either evade or take the shock or impact of those things. Mm. Right. And or exert the same sort of force in that and on those planes. Mm. So structural integration in that context takes on a unique uh, form. Based on the specific situation. Yeah, specific function. Okay. And then if I'm picking something up, it's a whole other set. Mm-hmm. If I'm stretching and, and moving my body or even those things, they're, they're really specific too, right? The applications slightly change. Mm. So how could we, since most people coming to yoga are, they're householder people, they're, they're, they're living you know, their life, maybe they play some sports or whatever, but everybody needs to cook and clean and bathe and drive and walk and mm-hmm. do all these basic life, pick up their dog and pick up their groceries and, right. you know, whatever. So how could we think of what is some sort of general access point for structural integration as a, as a principle for general yoga mm-hmm. practice that mm-hmm. we can think about how do we bring that that's, to the yoga studio? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there's a couple of things I'd have to think about that for for a while but the first thing that comes to mind is learning how to feel the body as a whole okay because we had talked about that before right in the first talk and what the fuck is yoga i think we we're talking about how do you know actually developing body awareness uh-huh. like so instead of just implementing these alignment cues when you're in a posture spend the time trying to feel your body number mm-hmm. one number two see if you can feel your body as a whole is it working together or do certain parts feel like they're falling off or being excessively strained? Mm-hmm. And see if you can sort of balance that, that distribution of force throughout the body a little mm-hmm. bit more. Uh, number two, something I would pay attention to is how is gravity acting on your body? Like, do you feel like you're being compressed and crunched anywhere? And can you realign your structure in such a way where you can feel the pull downward force of gravity working more smoothly through your structure? That's great. You yeah. know? And number three, is there a way to do the posture you're doing more effortlessly? I think that's a big one because mm-hmm. what that means, if you're if you're holding the posture a little bit more effortlessly, and there's a fine line here of of, of um, not working the body at all too, right? But because there's such an emphasis on working the body out, people tend to look for more pain or more tension, more intensity, gross sensation. Yeah, versus okay, can I hold the structure in the body in such a way where everything is in working in harmony, like a beautiful you know, building that's architect, you know, architectured properly, where in which the vector of force is distributed evenly through the structure, where there's no compression or pain in anywhere in the body. Mm-hmm. And I think those three things, like the proper alignment of the body where gravity moves through the structure smoothly, so there's a quality of effortless in the posture. Um, what else did I say? Yeah, well, the the idea of load bearing, whether it's a horizontal load, a kind of like wh- mm-hmm. where where are the f- lines of force going through the body, and and decreasing localized force. Right. Right. So like mm-hmm. I think of that as like spreading. They're all related to gravity. It's like right. spreading, spreading the force through the whole body so that so that there's a sense of ease and, right. and poise. Right. And but the, that that's like that's somatic awareness. That takes a the connection with the felt sense yeah. of that somatic right. awareness. So I think that's the primary thing that needs to be mm. developed in students. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, Although I do understand teaching people alignment cues, it does make sense. I do it too. Sure. But uh, it shouldn't be taught independently of training people in their own somatic awareness mm-hmm. because that's sort of the, the skill that's actually going to, st- I think, stay with the student forever. And they can keep refining and exploring their own structure, you know? That's right. Because yeah. people's structures are slightly different. And they change you know? over time. Yeah. And based on, if you get a new job and your new job... Or an injury. Yeah, right. it's like now all of a sudden very physical and your old job was a desk job or whatever it is, mm-hmm. like based on the demands of your body. Or I know, you know, with new parents that you have a new baby, all of a sudden you're using like 
you're holding nine to ten pounds in one arm yeah. frequently. Totally. So do, can you switch arms? What do you do with your structure if you only hold a, that baby on your right side <laughs> all the time? You're going to start to develop a spinal imbalance over the next nice. couple of years. Yeah. Exactly. So all these things, yeah. people who are body aware can think of everything as an opportunity to train this kind of somatic you know, attention, somatic awareness, somatic intelligence, and then this idea of structural integration, right. anything can really be used as training. Right. But you're right, the, the, the entry point or like the cost of entry is attention mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and, and that kind of awareness. Right. And a full body awareness. Like, can you feel the body actually working together as a unit? Mm. Right. One of the things, I, the images I love that's used in Tibetan yoga, and I know it's used in some Chinese martial arts too, is the image of hollow body. Mm-hmm, totally, that's a great. Right, one. I yeah. love that because if you imagine your body is like a balloon, and it's one continuous hollow open space that's all one interior, mm-hmm. then it's much easier to feel its connectivity than if you imagine your body as the individual bones and muscles you memorized yeah. from anatomy class. Right, right, right. Like it, for me, when we talk too much about the anatomy, yeah, it, it fractions the body into individual parts. Right, right. And, and, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Going, so no, I was just going to say, I mean, that's where, you know, we had the, the, the prior talk on energy. I think the, the mm-hmm. language of energy that yogic traditions bring to body practices is so brilliant mm. because when you pay attention to the sensation of energy, then all of a sudden now you're in, you're in a cohesive body right. because the currents of feeling move through the body. They don't care right. if it's your tibia, fibula, or, mm-hmm. you know, femur, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It's sensation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm totally always guiding my students into like looking for that sensation yeah. and I'm hoping they're getting that. But yeah. Uh, and the other thing that I love that what you're talking about, the integration of the body on a somatic level and the hollow body is a, is a really cool concept because the other example that I like to give in class is the body is a onesie. You know, if, if you've never worn a onesie, buy one online and put it on, and it'll remember. Because it's true, we forget, like a right? Suit, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I say like the Teletubby suits or something yeah, 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 like that, like, where like it goes from the head to all the way to the feet. Totally, like your skin is actually a suit that you're wearing. Right. Your yeah. whole body structure is like that, right? So if you move your arm, it pulls on the rest of the onesie, and if you have like a really tight back muscle on the right side of your back, it pulls on your whole onesie and throws it off. Right. And if you kind of look at the body like that and start to feel it from that vantage point, it changes your practice and you start to work the onesie out. So there's a greater sense of evenness and balance in your structure. And then the, um, what's the other thing I was going to say? Oh yeah. The perspective matters so much. Hmm. Maybe uh, I'm uh, one of the talks we have pre-recorded. We talked about this, but if we look at the body as separate parts, we'll experience it as separate parts. Hmm. And if you train to look at the body as an integrated whole, right, and adding gravity <laughs> and the vertical and horizontal planes, right, and space, right, these are all progressions. Um, but like if you start to integrate the body in those contexts, in your mind, consciously, when you're practicing, the body actually changes its form in a sense in front of your eyes. And you start to experience the body as relationships versus parts and it sounds abstract when we just talk about it conceptually but when you can really explore the body from that perspective and the practice the whole practice changes and the body can find in my experience really amazing spaces or states of expansion and integration Mm. that feel very amazing Mm. you know it just feels good right you feel integrated again you feel connected because the reality is that we live in this this amazing web and continuum that's a connection and coalescing of so many factors and elements Hmm. and that's what the body really is because your body actually does not exist independent of gravity for example right that's one of the things that we miss that's why i i I really like the the Taoist practices that emphasize rooting and or grounding so much which on a most basic level involves learning how to relax the body into gravity more right and to learn how to hold the bone structure and or connective tissue structure the whole body the onesie in such a way that allows gravity to pass through it more effectively and effortlessly. And I think that's a really important thing for us to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. That's, um, I mean, that's definitely advanced in, in the sense of like, I think that bringing the yoga student's attention to that, to that realm, it's almost like a peeling back the layers and arriving at this, at this body 
experience that's really different than the one we had conceptualized before. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, it's without that view, then you're going to frame the body unconsciously into different parts as you understand it. Right. And I think this is where one of the myths, for me, one of the myths of yoga and, and the way it's often taught in teacher training is that if you just memorize all the muscles and bones, it's somehow your asana practice will go Mm, deeper. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've often found that that's not the case because now the student is standing there in triangle and they're going through their body, making their alignment adjustments based on intellectually what they know about the muscles and bones. Uh And they're actually in their thinking mind. They're not in their non-conceptual felt body experience. And that's where yoga goes down. Yoga goes down in the felt, non-conceptual, non-dual space of direct somatic experience or energetic experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And all the techniques of traditional yoga were developed to operate within that realm of awareness. And so in a sense, it's like we we almost like pop out of our experience and we're looking at ourselves like an anatomy diagram (laughs) or something, right? Right, right. I mean, I think studying anatomy and physiology is great and it's really helpful. Mm -hmm. But when we're actually quote doing yoga we want to be in that space that that you're talking about which Mm -hmm. is it's a different it's a different organ of perception Mm. in a sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. different perceptual kind of state it's less intellectual in a sense it's it's an integration between like sort of the thinking discerning mind with the deep experience or the somatic felt experience of the body Mm. in relationship to the gravity in space right yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Great. Well, I mean, we both have a huge background in, you know, martial arts and Taoist practice uh, as well. Is there something within that you feel like is valuable in the conversation that we're having too? Because that's also, at least in our world, you know, yeah. for both me and you, it's part of the yoga world for us. Yeah, right? I mean, the crossover for both of us, the crossover of where Qigong and and Taoist-based practices meet Indian-based yoga practices. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. they're not two things anymore in the, right. in the way that both of us approach it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's one thing that really, for me, stands out in the approach from Taoist philosophy, and that's Wu Wei. Hmm. And that idea that is there, you're constantly asking yourself, is there a way to do this? with less personal effort. Right. And I mean, you touched on it in terms mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. how gravity relates to the body in terms of, of its structural alignment and integration. But I think just philosophically asking that question and, and bringing that as part of the, the environment of, of yoga, the mm-hmm. milieu of yoga, because, yes. you know, let's face it, the way we're ap- applying yoga and it is largely influenced by exercise culture. And of course, right. there's a lot of great teachers and great practices you could do out there that are more gentle or more sort of mindfully approached. But yoga mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. is is very influenced by the exercise culture notion that hard work, muscular intensity, and gross uh-huh. high levels of gross sensation right. equal more effect. Right. And that is the couldn't be further from <laughs> the teaching that I received from any of my Chinese teachers, which right. was that the less effort you feel yourself exerting, the more you're going to get out of this form or yeah. this posture. Yeah. So it's like almost like turning off local muscles, decreasing local engagement of specific areas of the body and trying to engage more with quote heaven and earth like yeah. that there's more lift coming somehow naturally more space yeah. and then more sinking happening cuz gravity is like the the earth is like magnetically drawing us down and nice. connecting us and right. how can i relate to heaven and earth as a human mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. maintaining my form my particular you know right. human structure right. and exploring that That's from beautiful. the idea of less effort yeah i think that that would go a long way in most yoga classes and certainly would prevent a lot of unnecessary injuries. injuries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I really live by those principles too in my body practices mm. because um, I also feel like that brings us closer to the spiritual intention of the practice. 
than doing something that's very physically engaged. I mean, I teach a more physically engaged practice a lot of times too, because I know people need it. And because I know people have body imbalances that they're to heal. But if I was teaching a group specifically to help them with what we may call enlightenment or spiritual development, I would teach it probably quite differently, mm-hmm. you know, in some senses, because I would actually make the focus a little different. And I would probably focus on what you're talking about, because you're talking about a somatic state or the somatic experience of egolessness to me, mm. Wuji, you know, mm. or Wu Wei. Wu means nothing. Right. And the great nothingness or void or the, the way of not doing, right? Meaning like you're not there doing efforting. Mm-hmm. And there's an experience of space and pure being in the context of being with the body, right? So what we're doing there is slowly, gradually cultivating this experience in the body where the ego or that self-identity is less present and there's movement and aliveness and liveliness there, but we're not doing it. We're not pushing anything, forcing, grasping, or pushing away. And we're dropping into the state of being, contentment, peace, in the somatic experience. Mm-hmm. And to me, that would be one of the, the high points of a yogic physical practice, like being able to go there and hang out there versus you know doing a really deep backbend and putting your feet on your head or you know, putting your ankles behind your head per se mm-hmm. as a physical accomplishment doesn't mean anything in a spiritual context to right. me. What's your state personally. of mind? I mean, maybe the discipline that gets there is good and the focus, but yeah, it's was if that putting your ankles behind your head and or doing a deep backbend gets you into that still point of effortlessness and pure being, then great. Mm-hmm. And it's relevant to your life as a physical thing to do. Right, right. right. <laughs> then it sounds more integrative from a spiritual and physical standpoint. Yeah. But when we lose both of those ends and then we're kind of messing around with the body, it's like, what are we doing there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we're always coming back to this notion that it's important to have some sense of view. An easy way to access that and bust some of the yoga asana myths is just by asking this question, why would I do this? What's mm-hmm. the purpose of this? So then mm-hmm. that that engages the view aspect of the teaching, right. kind of creates some contemplation. Mm-hmm. And then coming to the method, applying this somatic felt approach that we're talking about, and then being kind of scientific about it, being rigorous about it, being critical about it by saying, what's the result? Right. Here was my view, here was my concept here's what I did and what did I get out of that and tracking that through time Mm -hmm. and not being attached to a quote right way. Right. I think this, we need more of this for as scientific as we've become as a society. Right. There's very little rigorous, um, we're not submitting the yoga process to rigorous kind of test like an empirical self-study in your own practice yeah the yoga teacher just assumes you know like if you do this sequence it's really good for you really in how many cases how many people are developing so for me i think Mm -hmm. it's really important to watch what happens are people tweaking their knees how many people tweak their shoulders how many people are feeling uncomfortable and if we're noticing the result we're getting isn't matching our objective then we need to refine our view and our yeah. method yeah. and that is to me that's the living yoga tradition that's the function of a yogi is to constantly be vigilantly mm-hmm. it critically assessing their own practice and what yeah. is the result and yeah. refining 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 yeah. growing and refining and then what i would add that's great i love that and what i would add to that is maybe then put it like put it to the test in relationship to physical functionality and well-being mm. Is it contributing to that for you and more mm-hmm. grace and ease in your body and functionality in your body, adaptability of your body? Mm-hmm. And on the other end of the spectrum, how is it spiritually impacting your body-mind over the long term? Is it actually allowing you to find more equanimity and peace and ease? Is it making it easier for you to meditate after the yoga class? You know, Because if you're doing a yoga practice and it's agitating your body and mind and creating more pain, it's not contributing to your spiritual well-being either. You know, because sometimes, and last time we talked about karma in terms of short and long-term effect, right? Mm -hmm. So you might get that yoga high for like half an hour after your yoga class, but then you look at the long-term effect and you're developing a lower back problem, a knee problem, and you still have that way of thinking in your mind that hasn't been plaguing you your whole life. I think it's good to reassess. Be like, hmm, what's this practice doing on a spiritual level for me? Is it really actually effective? Is there anything I can tweak? To or get a different effect. becoming spacey or becoming dis, disconnected disassociated. or disassociated yeah, from yeah. people, less socially you know, aware, socially right. confident or whatever. Yeah, because that's the interesting thing too, and maybe we'll start to wrap it up soon, but um, everything we do physically has an impact to some extent on our mental and emotional state too, right? Mm-hmm. So just like, just like 
overly getting tense and locked up in the body creates this sort of very compressed emotional and psychic experience. Being overly stretched out and structureless and overly mobile can create a sense of instability in our sense of self or in our awareness or no, mind too. No boundaries or... Yeah, yeah. It can create that kind of psychic experience too, right? So it's, it's important to very carefully mm. craft the sort of somatic psychic self in a sense that's being generated by a particular body practice because in my opinion it's like don't forget you know it has an impact on your mind too how you practice physically mm. so it could be contributing to more agitation more spaciness like you said more disconnection and numbness for sure like doing too many postures of a certain kind i think it can make you spacey more spacey right. and more numbed out in a sense too so it's like you're blasting open the sensitivity receptors right and they're sort of becoming so dispersed that you can't register all the feeling and what's mm -hmm. going on yeah this gets more technical yeah i mean super, this is actually but... i mean this is a segue i think that we could do a whole nother talk about mm -hmm. the connection between what you do with your body and how that affects your mind and what right. you do with your mind and how that affects your body totally that's a good one i, I mean let's touch on that because yeah. that's a whole nother whole nother topic for sure for sure sounds good oh. all right that's it for today cool. thanks for listening guys yeah thanks Oh. <laughs> Yoga Uncensored.